Welcome, everybody, to episode five of Grabs podcast. I'm Grant Schwalbe. Joining me today is David Mellon of Edwardsville Fire Department. Welcome, David. Anxious to hear about your grab that you had uh, in 2014. But before that, why don't you tell us a little bit of your background and then uh, about the department that you were at when you made that grab? Awesome. Yeah, thanks, uh, Grant. I'm, I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about uh, the grab that we made a couple years ago. So Dave Mellon, I live in the Kansas City metro. I'm currently a career firefighter paramedic for the city of Edwardsville, which is a suburb of uh, Kansas City, Kansas. I also volunteer out in Leavenworth County for a Reno Township Fire Department, which is just a little bit outside of Lawrence, uh, where KU is. But uh, the department that I was on uh, back in 2014, it was a town called Tonganoxie, which is super hard to pronounce, but it's actually really cool if you write it out. Um, but it was a, a little bit further west of the Kansas City Metro, about 20 minutes from the Speedway, uh, where NASCAR is. It's a town of about 5,000. Uh, has a combination department, a Quint engine, brush truck, squad, EMS services covered by the county. Cool. So why don't we jump in uh, May 13th, 2014. Let us know about your call. When, uh, what time of day did this come in originally? The call came in around 4.30 in the morning, just uh, short, shortly before 4.30. Uh, and we were dispatched to a residential structure fire. It came through our county dispatch. Uh, and when we went around, they upgraded it to a structure fire with entrapment. Uh, that wasn't initially known, but when law enforcement showed up, they had a a family member out in the front yard screaming that there was a family member still in the house. And what kind of uh, response do you guys get, or did you guys get to a fire there? So there's 19 fire departments in Leavenworth County. With our mutual aid agreements, we not only responded our own units, so we had an engine, a quint, a squad coming, which is just a, a pickup truck with a camper shelf. But we also had three other neighboring fire departments that were bringing a quint, a couple more engines, and some chief officers. Cool. So get us in that fire. I responded to the station. I uh, got in with a crew of four. At the time, we had one career firefighter on duty all the time, 24-7. So I knew that I had a dedicated driver. I was a lieutenant for the fire department at the time. So I got in the front seat and I had two firefighters riding backwards. When we pulled up on scene, I announced that we were on scene. We got out uh, and I was met by the chief of the department who had arrived about 20 seconds before us. Uh, and there was a frantic family member screaming that his aunt was still in the house and he didn't know where she was, but he could hear her screaming. So I made the decision to split the crew into two. I told the driver and another firefighter to pull a line and that we were going to go in to make a rescue. So uh, I took a firefighter named Chris Ridlow with me and uh, we went to the initially to the Delta side where I believed that the bedrooms were. Uh, and that was purely just because it was 430 in the morning still dark out. I figured, well, she's in the house. She's got to be somewhere in a bedroom. Uh, so as we were preparing to do a vent in her search on a, on a Delta side window, the chief called on the radio and said that he heard yelling coming from the Bravo side. So we reoriented and we went over to the Bravo side, which had one door uh, on the side of the house. It was about a 1200 square foot house, uh, single story, single family. So when we got to that back door, he had mentioned that he heard somebody screaming through that area. So we immediately went in and we were met with a kitchen. So as we started to do kind of an oriented search, I pulled my thermal imager up and I noticed we had a lot of heat coming from what would have been the alpha side of the, the house. <laughs> so we made our way there, uh, kind of checking as we went. We didn't find anything in the kitchen. And as we made our way into the living room, 
we realized that the fire had started there. So it was going up the Bravo side wall across the ceiling. And we also had some fire in the attic, some attic parts that had come down in the, in the center of the living room. So I could see the fire up there. So we went through the living room, we made a left, came to a T hallway. And uh, I told Chris, I said, hey, let's split up. You go right, I'll go left. And when he went right, I saw him go into a room uh, through the tick, and I went straight ahead into what I thought was a bathroom. So I did a quick search in the tub. I, I found the toilet because I knew I found it when I put my hand in there and it was wet. Uh, and I felt it going into my glove. But came back out, yelled to Chris, did you find anything? He, he said that he had a bedroom, a mattress, and a walker, and a wheelchair. So then things kind of started turning in my head that, you know, this lady probably is immobile. So I went to the second bedroom. And when I opened up the door, I had about three or four feet of lift. And so I was able to see pretty well underneath the smoke. But at this point, it's starting to get pretty hot uh, inside the structure. So I did a quick sweep with my flashlight. I got as low as I could. And I saw two house slippers sticking out of a closet, which it took me probably a good, I mean, it felt like a minute, but it was probably a good five seconds for me to recognize and realize what I was seeing because they were like bright pink slippers and the first thing that went through my head is that I was like a, a fucking McCaffrey brother uh, from backdraft I mean it really took a second for me to think okay I actually have a victim and when I crawled over to her the first thing I said was hey I'm a firefighter which I'm pretty sure she already knew but she was she acted very incoherent she acted like she didn't know what was happening I couldn't really see at that point because the smoke had dropped back down but what I could see of her it looked like she was trying to open a doorknob or that she was trying to find a doorknob. And what we found out later in talking to her is that her last conscious thought was that she thought she was at the front door. So she was trying to open up the front door and that's what she was searching for, not realizing that she was in a closet. So I grabbed her, I pulled her towards the door to go back out in the hall uh, and I got up underneath her arm. I was trying to keep her under the smoke or as low to the floor as I could. So I had my hands underneath her arms drug her to that hallway and as I'm crawling backwards uh, kind of in a I would say like a duck walk position I started feeling a lot of heat on the back of my neck on the left side of my face I started breathing hot air or, or warm air time that we got back that entry that went back into the lift room I turned to my left and all I saw was orange so I don't know at that point if it was fully flashed or if it was mostly flashed but there was pretty well developed fire in that front living room and that's about the time that she started screaming on me. So I took myself and tried to put myself between her and the fire. So as I turned, I could feel the heat now on the right side of my head and the left side of my head, the back of my neck, the back, my back was starting to get really hot. So I yelled at Chris and told him I was coming into his room, which was a total change of plans. I thought we were gonna be able to have enough time to get back out through the living room. So as soon as we drug her into his room, he shut the door to give us a little bit of time. And uh, he took a Halligan bar. He broke out the alpha side window. Uh, I didn't even really have time to let them know that we were putting a victim out the window. So the first notion that they had that we were coming out with the victim was when they saw the window break and Chris started waving his hand over. Said they just saw a hand come out of the smoke and he was kind of signaling. So we, she was still conscious. She was still kind of yelling at us. Uh, she fought like I had never seen anybody fight. I mean, she was grabbing at our regulator. She, she was grabbing at our coats. She was grabbing at our masks. Uh, anything that she could get our hands onto, she was trying to grab a hold of and pull. So Chris grabbed her by the upper body. I grabbed her by the legs. We put her out through the window feet first. We handed her off to the, the crew that was on the outside, which was then in turn given to EMS. And uh, we were immediately met with a hose line. 
So we turned around and started initiating fire attack the best we could. We made our way back into the hallway, um, kept trying to push the fire back, got a decent knock on it, and then we were told to evacuate the structure. And when we came out, you could see where the roof was starting to bow. The room that she was in and the room that I was in when we drug her back out into the hallway, uh, that portion of the roof had collapsed down into the bedroom. So this whole thing took about two and a half minutes from on scene to victim out was less than three minutes, which for us, uh, you know, it was my first actual rescue. It went, I thought, fairly well. Um, it was kind of thing that we had trained on. It seemed like a lot of muscle memory and it just kind of happened. At the time, though, it felt like it took 20 minutes. Upon arrival, you guys decided initially you were going to go for VES on that Delta side based on your building size up hindsight after you changed the chief had you change up plans would that have decision been right and uh, where the victim was found yeah the room that we were going to then enter search was the room that she was in so had we been in her search that initially we would have dove right in about three feet over from where the victim was cool you said conditions when you moved into that room initially you had about three foot lift and you got down on the ground something that consistently a lot of instructors are teaching out there is looking getting low getting that life fire layout taking a sweep with your flashlight initially and when you move into new space that sounded like that was the money shot for you in this situation yeah it definitely uh played a huge factor because had i been trying to use a tick i don't know if i would have noticed quickly because there was a door and her feet were behind the door. So I, I was only getting a little glimpse of the bright pink house slippers, but that was something that had been taught to me by a senior firefighter years ago. So it was just something that was passed down to me. I've passed it on to all the students that I've taught and, and crew members that I've worked with. So it's definitely something that I think was beneficial. Nice. And I love that you went to plan B. Uh, initial plan A for the victim removal is going out the way you came in. And consistently, as we're talking with folks, that seems to be the fastest route out. We always like to encourage people to look at room conditions. And if they're better in the room where we found them, as opposed to where we came from, to maybe consider the window lift, although that takes a little bit longer. It sounds like you were able to change midstream when you encountered the bad bad conditions. You're in and went right into plan B, uh, diving into your partner's room and, and getting her out. You had no issues with the window lift or with drags as far as furniture and any of that kind of junk goes? No, I mean, there was an end table that I knocked over. So, I mean, I could tell that I was bumping into things. But at that point, I was just kind of like a bull in a china shop trying to get her out. You know, my main focus the entire time was, and again, this is something that had been drilled into my head. You've heard of a lot of instructors uh, talk about it at the different conferences that you and I have both been at and taught at. They're not wearing gear, and we are. So that was my first point was to make sure that she was in the most survivable space that I could put her, which is, you know, closer to the floor away from the heat. But no, we had no issues moving her. The other thing that kind of played into this too is that uh, she was about 95 pounds. She was 104 years old. So at the time, I didn't think about it because of her age. But, you know, if I would have known that she was 104, I probably would have been a little bit more gentle with her. Well, sounds like a successful grab. I appreciate you coming on to share the stories. There's always uh, bits and pieces that we can can learn from. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you to find out more about this rescue, to uh, learn more about what you're teaching or doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so they can get a hold of me at uh, david at valorfiretraining.com. Give me an email and do whatever you want. I'd be happy to talk to you about it.
Cool. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, and to all those listeners, again, what we're trying to do is just uh, get this information out to everybody. There's no sense in, in just a few people knowing about these grabs. Likewise, if you get a grab successful or uh, unsuccessful, uh, live or dead, please record that information at firefighterrescuesurvey.com. That's information for us by us so we can get the, the most up-to-date stuff and teach our guys and gals what they need to know and again the point of these podcasts is to keep it short and bring those firefighter rescue survey incidents to life we appreciate you listening if you want to get a hold of us to share your story please do so find me on facebook grant schwalbe you can also contact justin mcwilliams on facebook he runs the search culture page and i do the residential primary search making the grab page so tons of ways to get a hold of us we appreciate you listening thanks